So I feel like the idea of grounded content and the ethical part, which I think is so interesting that I don't think anybody is talking about that, but I think a lot of people are thinking about it because it's weird in the times that we're in, we're so saturated by so many messages and it's really hard if you're not a savvy marketer, it is impossible to tell from an Instagram ad if this is actually some weird new diet phase of like put a radish on your hot water in the morning and you're just gonna detox in five minutes. I don't know, it's so hard to tell that from like an actual offering of a new medical practice. And so I feel like it's hard for the truth to get cut through all the clutter. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Amy Swift Crosby and Hilary Laffer. They're the hosts of the Brand Smiths Podcast. This is one of my favorite Grounded Content interviews so far, and maybe it's because we talk about me so much. The interview starts off with some basic interview about brand what it is, and especially what it isn't. But then we start digging deep. Their show, The Brandsmiths Podcast, is different from other branding podcasts. It's a working session where they, on air, give advice to businesses about their brand. And about halfway through our podcast interview, they turned things around on me and started to give me some advice about grounded content. I love the conversation because we really dig into why these conversations are so important. And they have some great ideas for making grounded content better. I also tell kind of an origin story about one of the client experiences that got me really thinking about where these lines are, what Amy and Hillary call the ultimate and inevitable paradox of selling, those lines between manipulation and persuasion. I hope you like this interview as much as I did. I would really love it if you'd let me know what you thought of this episode. Whether you thought Amy and Hillary were on track with their suggestions for the future of Grounded Content, go to madmotion.com slash groundedpodcast, and there's a form there where you can leave me feedback, notes, and suggestions. You can also find me at madmotion on Instagram and on Twitter, and even on Clubhouse, where a group of us are having some weekly No BS Allowed weekly podcast chats on Wednesdays. So welcome to, I almost forgot the name of my podcast again. Welcome to the Grounded Content Podcast. And maybe my guest today can help me with, you know, how I present myself better, not forgetting my name might be an essential element of brand. I have with me today, Hillary Laff. Oh God, you just told me how to pronounce your name. Could you say it again? Laffer. That, how could I get that wrong? All right, Hillary, (laughs) I may have to leave this in because it's so ridiculous. Such a, (laughs) you know, you can... Brand-wise, you can advise me on this open. So I have with me today Amy Swift Crosby and Hilary Laffer, who are the hosts of the Brandsmiths podcast. And what's cool about their podcast is not just that they have really deep knowledge of the subject, but what they do is they bring people on there, and it's kind of a working session where they help their guests work through their business and brand challenges. And at least in the episode that I listened to, you got into really foundational stuff. And it was as much helping, I felt, your guests understand really what their business was. And maybe that's what brand is. So I'm going to start by asking you guys, what really is brand? Hills, why don't you take it? I love when you talk about brand. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it's sometimes easier first to say what brand isn't. 
And it's not a logo. It's not a tagline. It's not a color palette. It's not a package or a sign. But brand is really the totality of all of the experiences one has with a business or an institution or a person. So when I think about it, it could be the way you answer the phone. In your case, it's the way you introduce your guests. (laughs) So, you know, it's all of those touch points. And so in the other way, whether you like it or not, you're a brand because people are going to come away with impressions about you, but it doesn't have to be everything has to be branded. Does that kind of give a more complete picture? That's one of the myths and misunderstandings around brand is that everything has to be emblazoned with a logo and a button and a tagline and a thing and a thing and a thing. And that really misunderstands the point of an experience and a relationship with a brand. So that is one of the topics we tend to hit on in all of our podcasts because it's such an important piece of education around brand strategy. So for the listeners, the second person to speak was Amy and the first was Hillary. And I like to get that out there because I realize when people are listening, they can't see the faces. So you mentioned branding versus brand. Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah. So branding, because audiences are going to come away with impressions about your business, about your website, about your sign, all of those things. And we can't control those experiences because each person takes away their own. What we can do is influence those perceptions in ways that express what's authentically true for our business or for a business. So an example would be if transparency is something that is integral to a business. So whether it's supply chain or say it's a coffee company and they're all about here are who our suppliers are, a way to express that so that your customers come away thinking, God, they're so transparent, is to maybe at the coffee shop have profiles of the roasters. You know, something, a signal, a cue that creates the sense for those audiences to come away with that gut feeling about you is, wow, they're just so transparent. One of my first guests on the show was a guy, Jeffrey Madoff, and he wrote a book called Creative Careers. But he has done a lot of branding work and filmmaking work. And he told me that the origin of the word brand came from just what you would think it is, like cattle branding, like setting an identity. Does that make sense? Do you see an analogy there? For sure. It's a label. I mean, what a brand does is create a filtering system for decision making. And I feel like there's an essentialness like of that image of like branding the cattle, which I know it seems sort of violent today, but it's like once that's mark is put there, it can't be separated. And I think there is kind of like this foundational inseparableness that that makes me think of. Yeah. I mean, and because brand is a living, breathing thing, you can be agile and flexible and iterative within it, unlike when you're branding the back of an animal, which is sort of set in stone. Yes, it's hard to divorce yourself once you've set up a certain standard or persona 
a sensibility with a brand because you have to make gradual changes to undo things or change them if you want to change them. So in a way, you're saying like the brand in the way that you guys talk about it, well, the way it should be spoken about, it comes from internal as opposed to like in that analogy of the branding, we're like extra, they're just stamping it, you know, whether it fits or not. Well, that's, I think, been co-opted. The idea of it being synonymous with a mark, it makes a lot of sense because it's easy to understand that, oh, hey, here, here's what the brand's mark is, as opposed to here's the space we're trying to claim in the minds of our audiences. Well, this brings me to one of my questions, which is, what's the difference between, or how do you discern between what the customer is looking for and what the business wants to provide? And like, you know, how is one essential? And yet at the same time, you have to give the customer what they want. And yet you want to be true to what the brand is. How do you kind of decipher all of that? Ames, I'm going to let you take that one. <laughs> well, it's a huge question, Marin, and I hope you have two hours. <laughs> Something we talk about a lot is what you're selling and what they, the customer, is buying are two different things. And as a founder, as an owner, if you cannot distinguish the difference, you're going to have a blind spot in how you present what it is that you do and what you stand for in the minds of your audience. So there's a disconnect if you think that they're buying the same thing that you're selling. And you sort of fall in love often with your own, everyone's going to love it. It solves my problem. It solves my best friend's problem. It solves my spouse's problem. So it's going to solve everybody's problem. But you haven't really thought through Although you're selling a solution, it's not necessarily the same thing on the other side as an experience, as a, Hillary, what would you say? As a, it doesn't necessarily create the same solution on the other side of the aisle. Well, it's true. And we have an episode that we've just been editing right now, and it really presents the same kind of conundrum, and we were able to clarify it. So do you mind if we just give you the example? No, that would be perfect. Okay, cool. So it's a skincare brand and it's called Clarisma Beauty. And what they've been known for is Clarisma California. And the founder reached out and she was launching in a couple different new outlets, big like CVS and Rite Aid. And, you know, she's been in Ulta Beauty. And the thing was, she was selling California lifestyle. So it was Clarisma California. But what customers wanted to buy from her was enzymes. And so what we were able to do was kind of unpack and dissect and figure out that she could still communicate the freshness of California, but by leading with California, she was not allowing the customers who wanted enzymes to buy because she was burying the lead of enzymes thinking that, oh my God, everybody wants to buy California. So I'm going to get really like weird here and Do like it. philosophical like or whatever. Okay. So I love this <laughs> idea that like what you're selling and what people are buying are not necessarily the same thing. And I'd love to put that against this idea of authenticity. And so, you know, here you have someone, and I hear this a lot from people who maybe get advice about how to sell whatever they're selling and they resist because they want to be who they are. Right. And so how do you put those two against each other? Well, that's hard sometimes. I mean, <laughs> it is hard sometimes, but 
I mean, it sounds so obvious to say this, but manipulation or bait and switching or creating a veil that it's one thing when it's really something else, obviously that's off the table. I don't even want to spend two minutes because your audience is smart enough to know that don't be a ding dong, put a seven after it and call it a product. Like seven. Yes. Seven (gasps) reasons to use branding. Okay. Thank you. So what we mean by that is in the case of the founder that Hillary was just talking about, it's really easy to think everybody wants this and they want it this way. This is what I've seen on Instagram. This is what Superstar XYZ does. It totally worked for them. This is the way we're going to go. Meanwhile, you're not exactly selling the same thing. And you as a founder have a different ethos, which if you're not in touch with your own kind of why about why you're even doing this, and that's not really sincere. I mean, I give credit to Simon Sinek for popularizing this idea, but this has existed in brand strategy for, you know, forever. So those things are what inform values. And those are the kind of connective tissue that are going to dictate how you sell something, how you present it, how loud or soft or whatever you are. Are you kind of a lowercase brand? Do you kind of fly like that? Or are you bold and unapologetic? The presentation layer is all informed by that internal DNA. And if that isn't clear, and it's a part that a lot of people skip because it's very process-oriented and it's reflective, it takes a minute and you need to do it with professional people to get it really right. But that is what is going to tell your story ultimately. And customers know the difference. Customers have a great sense of smell when it comes to these things. So a brand that is trying to inject old world Ireland into, you know, a coffee company. I don't know why I thought of that idea. But or the alcohol was, company. Remember when we reviewed that brand? It was oh, old right. world, like Scottish water, yeah. straight from the source. And yet their identity was this abstract, modern. We had a lot of feedback as you can imagine. <laughs> but those those ideas do not sync up. And if the idea is it's from water source in Scotland and now we're gallery owners and we're, I, I don't know what that story would need to be to make sense. I'm really pulling it out here, but it doesn't make sense. So what about in the case with your California skincare business, right? What if she, and I'm putting things in the story that may not have come from the actual story, but what if her thing is all about the California lifestyle and you say her customers are buying enzymes and she's like, I'm not about enzymes. Like, how do you balance that? At the beginning and what we would do in in any kind of client engagement or on the podcast, to the extent we can within the format, is really unpack a couple things. One is really what your differentiators are, what the product is like, what the experience, what the benefits, what the features. We also want to look at who's in the competitive space. So who else is this customer considering when they're evaluating the skincare brand? So we kind of want to say, all right, what actually makes sense? We can't invent enzymes if it's basically pineapple scent. Like no one's going to believe that and they're just going to be revealed, which they're not. We would never even take on a project where they're like, it's not really this, but here's what we're selling. That would be gross. They fail. 
Yeah, they do. So in a way, what you're doing is when somebody comes to you and what they think they're selling is different than what the customer thinks they're buying, what you're doing is really revealing to that brand their actual true self. You're not actually changing their true self to meet the demand of the customer. You're actually revealing what's essentially there. Is that right? We're revealing it and we're also super distilling it so that it's something that everybody understands. It can't be, you know what? The thing that makes us us is we're unique. Like <laughs> unique can't be the differentiation. Shocker, Marianne. That is not oh, no. positioning. Wait. Wait a minute. So that's not, I should not position myself as unique. <laughs> Yeah. Hillary is much more diplomatic when people say things like that in a brand strategy session. I always try to let her answer first because I'm like, okay, so thank you for your contribution. Could you just let us do our work for a little bit and we'll get back to you on what your positioning is? Just because we're all in a silo. Everyone, you can't help it. You're in your own world. You're Drinking your own marketing for breakfast in some ways, you kind of can't help it. So externality is really valuable in this process. So now that you've said that, and I see that value completely, for somebody listening, short of, or maybe before bringing in a brand strategist, what are some of the questions that, you know, a founder or a brand should be asking themselves to start to dig into? understanding what their brand is and how they should be positioning themselves. This is a good one because kind of one of the reasons we're doing the podcast is we feel like we're almost like Goldilocks. We feel like in a lot of brand education is overcomplicated. And then a lot of on the other side, it's oversimplified. And so the questions, first of all, we like to think of brand also in relation to business. Okay, so there are certain categories like a company's mission, vision, values. Those are the conversations that inform how someone does business. But brand, we would want them to think about if their brand were a person, what are the personality traits that we would want to be associated with? And I'm not saying it's, Marion, describe yourself. Tell me you. No, it's Amy and I are working. Let's use the podcast as an example. Yeah. Okay. Grounded content, right? (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, this is great. Okay, come on. Let's do I want it. To give me the info. All right. So, I need a lot of help here. What's the one thing you want listeners to take away from this podcast? Okay. So, here's what I've been thinking I've been thinking that you know how they tell you when you have teenagers, you should talk to them about drugs when they're in elementary school before they ever have to face it, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So in terms of ethics, in terms of marketing, branding, advertising, I have worked with clients. They're the most innocent, lovely people, and they've never even thought about like, you know, the the persuasion, the techniques of persuasion. And when they get a taste of it, they go way over the line. You know, they haven't thought about these things beforehand. And so I want ethics to be part of the early conversation. When you think about the power that good branding, that good marketing and good advertising can have. I want part of that conversation essentially at its root to be, I don't really like the word authenticity, like Chris Brogan maybe turned me off of that word because it gets overused, but to be authentic, to also be ethical, you know, yes, scarcity as a tactic works, but like, where's the line there? You know, all those things. So I, I just want 
That that's that's essentially I want that to be part of the conversation. The paradox of persuasion. Yeah. Yeah. Should that have been my name? No, no, no. That that can be <laughs> you can use that as messaging though. Because on one hand, when you're persuading somebody, you want them to do something that you want them to do. You want to entice behavior that gets them to buy, subscribe, like, comment. On the other hand, embodying a persuasive, compelling personality isn't about trying to get anybody to do anything. It's being the thing that is so compelling that you can't help but become a cult member. That's the difference. You did have the line, it's not a megaphone, it's a magnet. I thought that was a great line. Okay, so grounded content, right? And the other thing was grounded, like I'm very close to nature. So that was like important to me, that reality. So I'm probably not conveying any of that with my visual stuff or my name or my open. I mean, we would have to review your your visual <laughs> identity a little more. It's a pretty little unsophisticated. More depth. But it doesn't have to be a say thing. It doesn't have to be you under a tree. but. It could be you barefoot in a forest with your with your mic and your earphones and like your recording equipment with something about um, which is totally what I know, look the, like in real life. By the way, I just no, I know. know I have a picture of you. I have a picture of you with your camera and your whole kit laying on the ground in the snow on a mountain in Vermont, <laughs> capturing content. Trust me, this is you. Okay. I thought I was talking to Bobby Brown when I when I logged on. I was like, wow. <laughs> so it's about applying your values and your positioning into everything else that you do, including your intro and your visual identity and your website, the way you welcome guests. I think there is some transparency as well. I mean, you're similar to what we're doing. You're pulling back the curtain and presenting this dilemma, the paradox that you, once you, and also, sorry, I'm going to switch gears for a second, is knowing your audience. So your audience is already going to be pre-filtered by people who are looking for wisdom. They're not looking for the quick fix. So there's something in the, I'm in it with you, or I see you. There's something in that. And I don't know. I Explain that. Can, Help me with that. Help me understand that. I can that. describe something and then Amy can put it into words. Sorry to put you on the spot. It's okay. But I think you're speaking to validation. Maybe I'm misunderstanding what you were saying, but where, say more and then let me read your mind. Okay. So I feel like the idea of grounded content and the ethical part which I think is so interesting that I don't think anybody is talking about that, but I think a lot of people are thinking about it because it's weird in the times that we're in, we're so saturated by so many messages and it's really hard. If you're not a savvy marketer, it is impossible to tell from an Instagram ad if this is actually some weird new diet phase of like put a radish on your hot water in the morning and you're just going to detox in five minutes. I don't know. It's so hard to tell that from like an actual offering of a new medical practice. And so I feel like it's hard for the truth to get cut through all the clutter. And I want to even dig a little deeper. So I think when most people hear ethics and marketing, they immediately think like, is the product a sham? 
or compliance? Uh, Yeah, I think it's deeper than that. I think Mm. you could have a great product and you could still market it in an unethical way. Agreed. I mean, especially in politics, right? Yeah. Oh, God. Politics. People are so afraid and they the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, so-and-so's doing that. They're getting followers. So-and-so's doing that. I should do that. Whereas to be able to pause and reflect and say, what is not only the best message, but the best vehicle that really is an expression of what we are offering, but it's not feeling beholden to the flavor of the day of a marketing tactic without an actual connection to why it matters to you and why it matters to your audience. Well said. So, I mean, I would love for you guys to just keep like advising me on my own thing forever because then I would learn about that. But, but well, the, well, for- Marion, one thing that I think is kind of true about you having gotten to know you separately from this. And I also think it's true of our mutual friend in Spartan is so much of marketing is about selling a hack. Here's the shortcut. Here's how you're going to do it in four weeks and you're going to have abs and you're whatever it is. Very few people say, this is going to be long. This is going to be hard. This is going to take discipline. You're going to have really bad days. That's not a marketing campaign anyone would advise. (laughs) And yet, this is Spartan's entire positioning. (laughs) So, I mean, that's... That's what you read my mind because, I mean, again, that's what I was trying... There was something in the presenting the situation that I think will really speak to your audiences. Right. So let me just ask you that I'm just, you know, trying to get free advice here. This is a great tactic. Speaking of tactics, this is one of the, okay, there's like all that crap for podcasting, right? But I think when I am able to have a conversation with people and explain what these conversations are about and why I want to do this, they get it. But it's hard to convey that. It's hard to get that out there in a short message. I mean, short of being who I am. Well. I mean, just using the paradox of persuasion, you can unpack that idea for a full minute and talk about the line between an ethical approach to sales, whether that's in the digital domain, whether it's person to person, whether it's in a campaign, whether it's in politics, and the way that you're pitching each of your guests becomes specific to their business and the paradox within their industry. So for brand strategy, that's one thing because we're sort of a universe that represents kind of all brands and a method for expressing it. But if you were talking to somebody in plastic surgery, you would have a different conversation of I haven't somebody, yeah, I haven't gone down that alley yet. Let's say somebody comes in to have her nose job, but all he can think about is jowls and Botox and whatever. So is he going to sell her a nose job? Like, what is their sales strategy as a practice? Do they give a general assessment and say, listen, if we do this one thing, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the entire palette feels a little bit off because we haven't done it. Or are they the kind of practice that says we're minimalist? I don't think the nose job is going to accomplish what you want, but this little tweak, which is far less expensive, is actually, I think, what you're looking for. You know what I mean? Interesting, yeah. So the ethos of the practice has to come through in the room, in the waiting room, in the Instagram, 
in the brochure. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel like Marion, what you just framed, Amy, the idea of setting the table with these conversations with guests is about framing the paradox. Reflecting the paradox back is not persuasive. It's sort of an immediate reflection of there are paradoxes in every business. And that line that you may cross or want to not cross is something that people are already aware of. So it's that immediately beginning with that, there's a recognition. And how would you ask that question? How would you frame that question? Well, give us a guest example. You guys. How would you frame the paradox question to us? Yeah. So, I mean, Hillary, do you want to take a first crack? Because well, I just, think that. Yeah, you say the question, then I'm going to think about well, it. Well, I think the question that you asked us, which is, I mean, you may not have known that. We do say this in a lot of our podcasts, but you may not have heard it until we were on this show. But oftentimes, or most times, what a brand is selling is not the same as what a customer is buying. So if you heard that in one of our shows, you would say, I'm quoting you guys, there's a paradox here because it sounds like this could either be manipulative or it's kind of an approach that helps somebody understand that what they're putting out there, what they're laying down isn't necessarily what they're picking up at the same time. So that's the way you would put it to someone like us. But there are many ways you could have pitched us. What about you, Hillary? How would you... Well, I was, as she was saying that, I was trying to think of one of our guests just because that's sometimes how my brain works. It's easier for me. Talk about externality. I mean, it's easier for me to see someone else. But we have an interesting guest who is, I think it was like the episode from that we launched last week, but his name is Leo Knight and he's the founder of Neighborhood Nerds and they're a technology company. And the paradox in his world is that he is selling a membership. Whereas in his industry, the model is a break fix. So normally you call the geek squad where he's like, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to come when things break. We want you to call us to say, I'm ready to get this new TV. I want to re-network. And so if he were to be a guest, you would say to him, you know, Leo, it seems like in your industry, there's really this paradox between having a trusted partner and just going to the geek squad or calling somebody or kind of going somewhere and getting fixed, getting your device fixed. How do you walk that line? So it's presenting the paradox in that person's world, because that to me will reveal the wisdom and the grounded perspective that you bring. Interesting. Who else is talking to guests in that way? Right. I don't think anyone. Now, I had thought that this was really going to be about content marketing, advertising, messaging, speaking to professionals in that field. And I thought maybe I would talk to marketing directors for specific companies. But it sounds like you're seeing something broader than that. No, more specific and therefore more interesting. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Yeah, because how many brand people can I have this same rambling philosophical discussion with? And none of them will be as interesting as you guys. Well, <laughs> thank you. But the reality is you have access to so many interesting CMOs and people doing entrepreneurial things. And they get asked all the time about their tactics and philosophy and approach to stuff. They've written books about it. They're thought leaders. But 
the paradox of persuasion and the line that they personally walk and those anecdotes of when they've stepped over it, and I can share one that happened to me, those are interesting stories. And this is the moment, today is the moment, when our entire country is taking an exhale that there will be integrity in the way people behave in a Target parking lot because we don't have a total orangutan setting a bad example for us. (laughs) Yeah, share your example. So here's my example. For many years, I ran a women's network in Los Angeles. And within the community, we would have events. And somebody approached me to be an affiliate. And she was going to be a speaker for us. And she wanted to sell something at the event. And she said, you could take a percentage of sales if I sell it at your event. I do this with every event I go to. And the event host, affiliate marketing, this is nothing new, right? So I had never done that with my community. When I presented a speaker, I did it with total hygiene. There was nothing I was going to get out of it. I just thought they had good information to share. My business model was not to collect a piece of whatever their sales happened to be that night. She convinced me that I should. I think I made $10,000 in one evening. And the product that she was selling, people had really mixed reactions to it. Some people loved it and became devotees of her. Some people were like, this is kind of a scam, like a month later. And I couldn't control what she was going to deliver. So I was completely out of the driver's seat of something that I had just endorsed. I would never do that again. And shortly after that, I sent a massive, humble apology to the community and said, that was an experiment. I feel very weird about it. And I wouldn't do it again. And I'm happy that some of you are so happy, but I'm chagrined and horrified that the rest of you had a bad experience. And I'm sorry. It's such a true story, and it's such a common story. And I think the teaching teens about drugs analogy holds so true in that case, because if you had had the time in advance to think it through, you might have made a different decision. Well, I had been approached with affiliate deals before because I was in an enviable position of other people doing whatever I said at that time, like a small was, you know, whatever. People look up to you because you're the leader and that's nice. But in that situation, I just thought maybe I'm being too precious about this. Like, why do I need to have so much fucking integrity all the time? Like, (laughs) could I just get paid for something without like this giant deliverable and like over delivering, which Hillary and I tend to do? Yeah, there's a line that we need to learn how to walk. <laughs> oh my God. That'll be the next podcast. That's really. <laughs> Teaching us how to be less ethical. Yeah. I mean, it is our downfall, I would say. And and yes. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But until somebody is happy, we tend to make it right. So I don't think, I mean, there's no rear view mirror moment that I can say like, oh, if I had only researched it a little more, I knew what I was getting into. I took a risk. It was the best lesson because I wouldn't do it again. This person is still out there selling, very successful. They have a squeeze page, the whole funnel business. It is not for me, and I know it's not for me. And it only took one experience to demonstrate that. So, Well, you and I ran into each other on this new app called Clubhouse the other day. We did. And I don't know if you had explored at all, but- No, there is literally a a Clubhouse, can I just say- is a little confronting because 
you think you're going to go on an app like any other app and just like explore around. No, suddenly you're in a room. You're in a room <laughs> and you're being welcomed. I, it was as if I walked out on stage, but I thought the stage was like the hallway at the Marriott. Well, that was my fault because I saw you in the room and I was like, come on up, Amy. No, you were amazing. I felt so welcome and it was great. But now I get it with Clubhouse. Like, don't just walk into rooms. But let me bring up that the reason I bring that up right now is that if you look at the names of most of the rooms, there's like six money bag emojis and how to make your bio pop and how oh. to maximize your performance of your whatever and how to all that crap. And so actually the room you walked, you just lucked out. You found the right place. I did. We were, that we were in the bad freaking, advice room. It was the yeah. cool kids room for sure. We laughed so hard. Yeah. By the way, you should check out Lisa Orkin, who was in there too. She's a comedian. She has a podcast called Project Woo Woo. Okay. Oh, she sounds sounds like my kind of person. I just get allergic to that. The minute I see that, I say, oh, run. I mean, there just is, there's so much information out there and there's no silver bullet. No. Right. Right. And one size fits none. I'm sorry. It Truth. just doesn't. It doesn't. And sometimes there's no silver lining. Sometimes it just sucks. Like these cliches drive us crazy of, you know, in the end it worked out. Well, sometimes in the end it works out. Sometimes you're left holding a big bag of manure, you know? <laughs> Thank you for saying that because it would not be a complete episode of Grounded Content if there were not a manure-related analogy oh, in the good. show. Check that box. <laughs> I mean, if you heard the Brogan episode, the vending machine full of poop is the was started that trend. Caught it. Yep. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to one of the early questions, and I think you correctly resisted it. What are some of the questions that somebody should ask themselves if they're trying to figure out what their brand is about? I think values. I mean, Hillary, do you think that's a good place to start? Well, to me, I feel like I got sidetracked because values to me speak more to business. It's personality traits. So are you a playful brand? Are you a whimsical brand? Are you warm? Are you friendly? Are you grounded? Are you dynamic? Are you vibrant? I happen to, again, I come from the design space. And so the more personality attributes that we have a feel for a person, like everybody wants to have a great personality. Okay. So I think of brands almost as personality. And so what are the personality traits that your brand is? It's not the service you offer. It's not that, oh, we're timely. It's I mean, I think if I was to say what the Brandsmith's personality is, just because I know that, I think it is candid, resourceful, so or insightful. Sharp. Right. Those are those kinds of things that are uh, thoughtful. And so these words aren't words that are meant to just put on a wall. So when you identify those words, so one of the questions would be, what is the personality of the brand? Not the person, not the service, not saying if you are a, um, a builder that you're, I'll give you a good example. We have a long, long, long-term client that we've had for years, and they're a general contractor in San Francisco. And they, you would think their personality would be about their work. Their work is modern. Their work is beautiful. All of these things, it'd be easy to say, that's our personality. No, their personality is fun, 
empathetic, smart, collaborative. So it more describes the person because it's easier once you do answer those questions, it's easier to evaluate whether it's marketing messaging or visual creative through that lens that Amy talked about to say, you know what, that message that we put out is not empathetic. Okay, so let's write it in a different way. Or, you know, whenever that client sends out email newsletters, it's always from an empathetic posture. It's never we're beating our chest because we were named SF's business of the year, you know, best places to work. And so that's one of the questions. The other is harder to get to, but I feel like Amy did a nice shortcut of when I asked you, what is the one thing you want people to take away? And so it's easy. What we end up doing a lot is using post-it notes and writing those things, like just a bunch of post-it notes and get other people to write them as well because they're going to see things that you can't. So, ooh, nice visual aims. And so paradox to me was one, that ethical line. So all of those things, you put those up on post-it notes and you start to look and then you peel them away. No, no, somebody else can own that. But what's the one thing I can own? And I think where she landed, as she often does, because she can just x-ray vision this stuff, that it is that paradox. So you're not being prescriptive. You're not coming on and saying, everybody needs to be ethical. I'm the torchbearer for the most ethical marketing in the world ever. And I'm only going to bear on people who talk about that. No, you're revealing that in this day and age, there is this paradox. And so you're wanting to have real conversations about that. One step further. So after you've asked that question of what's the one thing I want people to take away, how can you, after you've taken all the post-it notes, have that up there, boil it down to one word? That's the hard part. (laughs) Really hard. So hard. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you guys like feel a lot of, you must feel a lot of pressure. Well, there are only so many words in the dictionary. <laughs> right. I got to tell you though, as a copywriter, there is pressure whenever I have a naming job to Ooh. name a company, name a building, name a new beauty product, name another podcast, whatever it is. Even naming our own podcast was a oh, nightmare. God. Because, and this is why you're in the dialogue that you're in around grounded content is that. Think about how many chocolate brands there were 10 years ago. Now think about how many there are today. Right. Think about how many beers there were. Water. Think about all the popcorn brands. Water. How about it's self-help brands? Self-help. Yes. Tequila. Oh God. It's nutrition, supplements. We're living in a world where not only is there more of everything, but the channels are endless which means you have marketers and a lot of amateur marketers. That's not a criticism, but people that are winging it. I mean, it's really from the hip. And sometimes those are the best kind because they're the most sincere and the slickest ones are sort of the gnarliest because they're just too slippery and inauthentic. But nevertheless, you're getting shouted at all day. From someone. But I feel like because of the way data works, and really what got me to start thinking about this was when I was doing some paid social media consulting. 
And as in paid social, not paid consult. Well, paid consulting before paid social. And when you talk about the amateur marketer and you say, well, sometimes they're the most sincere, but what happens is you get really immediate feedback of what seems to be working and it's working in a certain way because it's producing a certain kind of numbers. But if those numbers aren't aligned, the effects can actually be really detrimental, not just ethically, but in a business way. And I mean, I can give you an example of that, but I think you probably understand that better than I do. It can be a liability. Major. I was going to ask you, I'm curious about your example. So this is a story that I think I should probably go into in, in an episode. But so I actually worked for a client who was a, a candidate running for governor. And I was helping the team develop their social media plan, and I did their paid social media for them. And the candidate was a very ethical person, almost to his detriment. I mean, if I were to look back, probably the reason he didn't win the primary was because, you know, he refused to put out a position paper until he'd fully researched the, every detail of that issue. But what I saw was the way paid social works, the best way to find success is to get a lower cost for a conversion. And the way you do that is you find these little veins that you can mine where there's a very specific niche where people feel really strongly and you can get them to convert really cheaply. And so I'm trying to think how much to reveal here. But so, for example, this candidate was, this is Vermont. And so in Vermont, and this was several years ago. So in Vermont, there's a lot of gun owners. And it's part of the culture. They use it for hunting. And so this candidate felt that the gun laws in the state did not need to change. The candidate also was a great supporter of environmental issues, wanted the lake cleaned up, wanted some stricter policies there. So we tried position ads, right? And we tried paid social position ads with these different criteria. And conversion was, you know, having that person come and become, you know, like the page, which in those days, is this getting too like no, detailed? That's interesting. Okay. I mean, you can always edit it if you don't like yeah. it, but it's interesting yeah. to us. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the conversion in this case was to get the audience to like this candidate's Facebook page. And the strategy for most politicians is you want to get the people to like your page. And then once you know who they are, you've identified them. Instead of selling, what you're doing is you're doing the get out the vote. So your mailing list, your Facebook followers, all those things are like kind of identifying your supporters so you can do the get out the vote. And so with the Facebook page, we're trying to find people that are going to come and follow the page. And so, again, we run ads on environmental issues. We run ads of the candidate with a puppy. We run ads of we don't feel the gun laws need to change. Well, the gun laws posts convert like crazy because... Number one, it's really easy to identify people who support guns rights, right? Because they're already out there following a bunch of things. And number two, those people are really passionate. And so for pennies on the dollar, we're getting conversions with that versus the cost of converting people who support the environmental issues. The puppies were second best. The puppies did pretty well, right? So what happens, though, is there's this temptation to say, like, we're getting success. It's costing less per conversion. Let's double down on that. So we start spending money on that ads. Well, what happens is you now have a community on Facebook that is built on this one ad 
on this one issue where people are really strongly opinionated on that issue. And so what starts to happen to that community is when you post even an organic post on this, I'm getting really like esoteric detailed here, but when you post an organic post then on that Facebook page saying something about environmental issues, you get like rabid negative response because it's not about the issue that those people came there for. They feel bait and switched. And you've also polluted your community. So you've brought in people that are so strongly opinionated on this one issue and you've brought them in. And so now instead of having a sort of a community that is proportional, right? And it's like, well, these are my 10 positions that are important to me on my platform. You've distorted the community and the following. Yeah. And it's really dangerous. And so this was like a precursor of everything that we're seeing now. But that's where I started thinking about it. This was a candidate. Our thinking at the time was it was a candidate who was a very ethical and moral person. We were using what were the standard tactics that you would use to sell, you know, sunglasses, right? You'd find out like, oh, surfers in California really love these. You know, you'd find that niche and you'd advertise them and that would work. So we were using standard tactics and we were using them in support of an ethical candidate, but we were doing some things that kind of crossed a line in terms of not being so ethical. Yeah. I mean, I have a reaction to that, which is it is confusing to market to gun owners only about gun laws without a halo effect of a broader message because you're getting them kind of where it hurts without doing the hard and heavy lifting of two things can be true. You can want clean water and you can believe in, you know, owning a gun. And this is really like, this is kind of a microcosm example of what happens in large scale in political advertising, which is a whole other issue. But I mean, it's a deep issue and you can see why, like, because certain things are super effective, right? Like we could get those people to come out and vote for our candidate. And then you think, well, we want the candidate to win, right? So why wouldn't we do that? And that's where all those questions come up. Yeah, there's a paradox. I mean, yes. it, it's <laughs> right there. And of course, we've seen it in this election cycle that we've just been through. And what's so confounding is, and it, of course, is more complicated than this, but the people who hunt might also want to still have a forest to hunt in. and clean water to walk by as they hunt and also to drink around the campfire with air to breathe that is clean. Like Vermont is such a luxury because it is very clean and lovely in a lot of ways. It's not LA where you can see the smog on the horizon like Hillary and I are looking at right now. But (laughs) you would think that there would be in the Venn diagram more overlap between the gun owners and the natural and I think there is. I think there World. is. I could dig in deeper into into some of this, but I think there is this thing that what brought that to mind was when you were talking about the amateur marketers. I think there are so many messages out there to what you said and so many brands for so, you know, like a million different chocolate brands, a million different water brands. And there's a million different marketers who are getting this very immediate feedback of what seems to be effective, yes. but can be really misleading. It's the short term, it's the analytics that I think just because we have the capability to measure, 
And because a lot of ads and success metrics are based on those analytics, it only is telling half of the story. Right. Because it's so short term that, yeah, you may be able to, on a report, report back and say, here's what this accomplished, but it's harder to measure the long-term awareness or even erosion of a candidate or a brand. Because the idea of brand is actually creating an asset, something where there's equity in your business. And so, you know, when you think of the stock market, yes, it goes up and down, but really we're looking for just a natural upswing. And I feel like these short-term strategies may end up moving the dial temporarily. And if you're lucky, they won't actually detract from the overall feeling that you want your audiences to have. You run the risk. Sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. And I think they're not only short-term, but they're incomplete. Yes, totally. You know, you think about like, if I were to say Amy has blonde hair, and then we were to find people who liked blonde hair, doesn't mean that they like Amy. Right. <laughs> it's incomplete. <laughs> yeah. Would agree. So what did I forget to ask you? I mean, I'm going to ask you a little bit about your show and who you're looking for for guests, but about this ultimate paradox. The paradox of marketing in general? This whole paradox that we've been talking about, especially as it applies to what you guys do in terms of brand and brand strategy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yes, sorry. I'm getting it now. We're still Now I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the problems we've had on the show is part of this, you need the discovery to understand. So I think the paradox in our world is that on the one hand, when you asked us originally and I talked about, yes, you can't control the perception people have about a brand, but what branding is, is all about trying to influence them. Okay. But, you know, on the other hand, We're all like, oh God, look at those influencers. They're just being paid to, you know, say they like a brand. So we do walk a fine line. And so I think the paradox in our world is that if that influence is really coming from an authentic place and it is in service to what customers want and what you actually can deliver. That influence is that magnetic pull. It's not the sign spinner on the street outside your house because it knows that you drink X kind of water. It's the reinforcing that you drink water based on health and wellness. Okay. That's authentic. That is still influencing you. You know, it's there's this cool brand. I think it's called Liquid Death and it's a water brand and it's hilarious. And their stuff is really, really funny and it's grungy, it's edgy. And so, yeah, that's their brand. They're selling water. It's a good product. And so they're trying to influence people and they're doing it in a way that makes water like a badass thing to drink. Okay. So that's influence, but it's still authentic. So it's sort of a, it's, it's a fun paradox. There's an, I don't need you to tell us we're anything about them. You know, I don't need your approval. I don't even need you to be a cult member. This is what we're doing. Get on, get off. Don't care. 
And Love that. not every brand has that positioning, but something that when Hillary and I first started working together, she shared with me, and I've now co-opted it and rarely give her credit, but here it is. <laughs> Everyone wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold to. And the reason that's so kind of poignant and important is we're all in the market for experiences, for making our life better in some way, for some small pleasure, for an improvement, an acquisition, a reduction in something. We're all in a state of desire in some form or another. No matter how content we are with the present, there's always a kernel of desire about something going on to varying degrees. So we're all in the market for something. It could be love and belonging and a sense of companionship. That's a purchase. That's an acquisition. That's a a group you can join. Or it could be a new water filter. But there's nothing wrong with selling. It's a question of understanding that we all are in the mood and in the mode to buy, but no one in the whole world wants to be sold to. It doesn't feel good. I love that. That is the essential line. That's the essential closing line. So tell me, are you looking for guests for your podcast? Do you want to give a little pitch for for people to come on? Yeah. Yeah, we have some criteria. We are looking for guests. I mean, it is a, you know, free brand strategy session, first of all, which is nice. So we're looking for guests in a lot of different industries and channels. So it could be hospitality, wellness, fitness, food, technology, technology, consumer products. I would say it's wide. We're open to a lot of different kinds of businesses and owners. They do have to be in business. I would say unless, like what would the criteria be if you were just starting, Hillary? Like they, they really need to be operational and be Yes, I actually was. I've got to tell you about it later. I was talking to someone today and he brought up something and I said, oh, well, you might know someone who would be a good guest. And the more I started talking with him, I said, I think you actually might be a good guest. And I was giving him the criteria and I said, well, you know, you have to be successful and, you know, you have to have a successful business. And he said, oh, well, I defined success a little bit differently. I said, no, 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 no. It just means that like you've been in business. You didn't open yesterday. You're not about to open tomorrow you know enough about your own business and are willing to share with other business owners. It's almost sort of group therapy in a way. It is therapeutic. Yeah. (laughs) So you have to be a business owner to be able to understand these dimensions because we really do unpack things and focus on certain specifics during an episode. And so we can't, it can't be branding 101, you know, a semester class. The other thing is it has to be a business owner, founder who's willing to go there. So we never reenact a problem and then solve it on the show. It has to be in real time. We're workshopping and, you know, you just never know where the conversation is Yeah, we're never go. solving the problem ahead of time. Yeah. Got it. It's Got all it. in real time. It's real. Yeah. Well, I loved listening to it. Thank uh-huh. you. Thanks. The other is that they have to have a business that's relatable because what we found, or at least in our careers, is I said before that one size fits none, but the other side of the coin is that so many businesses are facing the exact same challenges in one form or another. And so it's easy 
to think that, oh, well, that episode was about a coffee company. That doesn't relate to me. Well, we actually had the guest of the nonprofit from Miami said, I was listening to that one about the coffee shop, and I really felt like how he was talking about the legacy brand with the future brand, that really connected for me. So it has to be a theme that is going to be resonant with other business owners. And they've got to give good audio. And that's partly uh, that's <laughs> yes. partly our job is to make it yeah. uh, relevant for a variety of listeners so that we're not inside baseball the entire time and people tune out. I mean, it's got to be interesting. So if people want to listen to your show or reach out on social media, how should they find you? We are on Instagram at the Brandsmith Pod. We are on Apple and Spotify and Google. And we also have a website, thebrandsmithpod.com, where you can submit questions and sign up for our newsletter that we have yet to develop. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a writer right there. I know. Yes. But it's easy to DM us on Instagram. So the Brandsmiths Pod is easy. Well, great. It was such a pleasure. And I think this was a really fun and so interesting fun, conversation. And not just because I got free advice, although that was a big, <laughs> big bonus. <laughs> it was awesome to chat with you. And I think the angle of your show just got much more distilled and yes. now can be even a little bit controversial where you can have people come on whose ethics perhaps are in question and they can have a chance to defend themselves and you can challenge them on their tactics. And, you know, Ricky Gervais says something that I always remember, which is just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. And Ooh. that could be true with some people, you know, yeah. Hillary and I are offended by all kinds of things. And there is an audience for those people that is not us. So. You know, I loved our conversation. There's so much to think about, and I can't wait to recommend this podcast to so many people that I know who who struggle with this, and there really isn't anyone talking about it. Agree. And so, should my logo change to me barefoot under a tree with a microphone in my hand? <laughs> well, I do like the idea of sort of barefoot in nature with your audio equipment. As long as it's a close enough shot that we don't think it's about forest bathing or something. So. Thanks for listening to Grounded Content. If you, like me, think it's worthwhile to explore these ideas about where the ethical lines lie in promoting products and ideas and messages, please help me spread the word. Tell your friends about the podcast. Share it on your social send an email, mention it in a conversation. And if you have somebody you think would be a great guest, fill out my form at madmotion.com slash grounded podcast. See you next time. Thanks.